that's risky. We're not knocking over the Diet Mountain Dew, but we got a little bit of a drum roll go because we got the CEO of Artist Collective, one of my longest friends, a uh, trusted business partner, and a brilliant time-blocking manager uh, to a, a, a professional level, an artist manager, and a branding specialist. Just to name a few of his strengths, he has built um, and founded Artist Collective from, I think, th more than 13 years ago into what it is today. And what it is today is excitingly beautiful. We get to work with exactly the artists and the coaches and the producers that we want to work with, and we could not be more excited. Welcome to the Mike Podcast again, my friend, Evan Price. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Always good uh, catching up with you here. Absolutely. I think we don't catch up too often when it's not recorded. You know what I mean? We want to make sure that yeah. we get it out to the people. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be doing this more often. Uh, make this a reoccurring thing. We can have a, what did you call me? The, what's the dude in Conan? What's that second? Dude? Andy, Andy Richter. Richter. Yeah. I'm your, I'm, I'm your Andy Richter. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Conan needs him and they're yeah. adorable together. And I'd like to think that we are too. And it's been really hard for me knowing that you just did this epic trip to Egypt. And I haven't been asking any of the questions yet. Cause I wanted to ask him on the podcast. Cause I know that with your mind being so music business related, you probably were seeing parallels on every street corner. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And, and I personally was really, I've never done an, a trip that ambitious before in my life. So we'll get to the Egypt trip a little bit later. I oh. definitely want to get to that and ask you so many questions about it. And I'm so curious, did you have an epiphany in the bazaar or did you have walking through the period? We'll talk about that in a little bit. So make sure that you guys keep listening and uh, make sure you throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while we're talking about it. But what I want to talk about first is what Artist Collective is today as far as growth, man, because a lot of people I'm talking to and they're just like, you grew how fast? Yeah. Yeah. Growth. I want to say it was a slow burn at first. The first three years that they always say when you're building a business, the first five years, you don't really make a profit. You're putting it back into it. And we really, between me, you and Steve, we really embodied that. We put, as you always say, we eat spaghetti sandwiches for years, putting money back into the business to make it grow. We tried a lot of things. We pivoted a lot. We wanted to manage. We just knew we wanted to work with artists and help them grow. We didn't really know how we were going to get paid, maybe percentage. I was doing work for artists for free for years. I'm talking managing their entire careers for free. I did marketing for like $50 one time where I ran their whole marketing. So I look back at that and I'm just like, what's different? Growth-wise, it's we really hit our stride during the lockdown. I hate to say it. And that's where it really changed for us. I noticed that this was happening and things were lot we're closing down and I'm looking back at February of 2020, for instance, and I had, I was supposed to go and appear at South by Southwest with an artist. And I saw that they were closing down like completely. It was like, what, like 300,000 people mm -hmm. attend that. I was just like, whoa, okay. Whatever's going on here in real life is serious. So what is going on? So I took that, I took advantage of that. And I was like, okay, South by Southwest. It's a music conference. People from all over the world go there for music and tech and film, everything. And they're going to want an outlet. They're going to be now stuck in their houses. So we acted quickly, I remember, and we put together a dope mini virtual conference, all the people we knew in the industry. And we brought we essentially made our own South by Southwest on a smaller scale, of course. And that 
took off. It got the attraction. It attracted Billboard, which wrote about us. Medium wrote a couple art articles about us. So really humbled by that. But that really took us to the next level because people were now looking at what we were doing. On top of that, they had some of them lost their jobs, unfortunately, and they were realizing, mm -hmm. yo, I'm over here being an accountant and that's not even safe. I might as well just go do what I want to do what I love. And they were just scared and frustrated and didn't know what to do. So then they found us. So that's it just started to take off during that time. So as much as that it was is a terrible time for a lot of people, it helped us as a business. It helped us connect with a lot of cool artists who are doing cool things, but they just don't know how to build. Yeah, I think one element that I realized after you made some moves, really leaning into uh, while everybody else was scared to spend money and scared to have marketing campaigns, you were like, no, this is the time to strike because people need us right now more than ever because they're going to be sitting at home going, can I ever be a musician again? And all the mainstream labels were cutting budgets. Even these huge artists went bankrupt during this time. And it wasn't just the little guys and the part-time guys. And one thing that I was so excited about was to see that like Berkeley, we were being listed near the same colleges and teachers that I used to fawn over back in the day. And we're being listed amongst those titles. And one of the reasons why is because we had been doing the e-learning for two or three years, mastering it, making it interesting, having custom graphics for everything and catering our courses and the way that we spoke to artists in an educational way, really fun and casual. And these cats were just learning it on day one. So we already had this whole system and this whole finesse of keeping, keeping real connection through the laptop screens. And I think that all the other incredibly inflated priced colleges were providing the same services that we were in the same sort of education that we were, but their budgets hadn't gotten smaller. It was still a hundred thousand dollars a year to go to Berkeley. Yep. Meanwhile, we were a much more affordable niche option that people flocked to. It was fantastic. Yeah. And our big push was that comparing it to the colleges, full disclosure, I did go to a music college. I went to Columbia college here in Chicago a great spot. But what I saw a hole in there was they didn't move fast enough. Like when trends started, especially the music industry, it moved so quickly. Trends would happen and digital marketing would now be a thing. I remember Spotify was created while I was in college and it just takes them years to go through the board and get things approved and hire people and create a curriculum. By that time that they build something for this new focus, it's changed already. So it's like we had the ability to, to move quicker than they could. And I know now, I think as of last year, Columbia just added a social media class. It's like social media has been around for like, wh why did this take you so long? So we were just able to move quicker. And when we were doing the course building and things like that, and well, I think we'll get back to those courses, but I think I can, uh, hopefully I can speak for all of you guys as well on, on the AC team, but I've just been loving the one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's just so much different. What we've seen is like people can buy courses all day long, but they don't take action. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this, maybe this is you as well, but like, do you actually fulfill all the courses and stay accountable to yourself? Probably not. You need somebody there one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's a teacher or a coach or a mentor being like, hey, did you get your shit done? Hey, did you do it? I see that you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, just do it yourself course. 
is very hard to come by actually completing as a musician. So I've just been loving the one-on-ones because it allows us to hand cater this curriculum to their needs because every artist is vastly different as you've seen as well. It's like, we'll work with producers, we'll work with music coaches, and then we'll turn around and work with singers who just want to be a recording artist. So it's just been, it's just allowed us to work quicker on the fly and be able to hand cater what, what they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is too, it's like, we start to get to know their partners, their family situations. Do they have kids? What are their, their preferences on how to communicate and what are, what are some non-negotiables about their belief systems? And then, then we can cater our approach to the individual rather than just having the puzzle piece fit all of a course. And that's where it really changes and why we get so connected to our clients. And speaking of clients, I think you mentioned before the call, we're over active clients, over 20 clients right now. Yeah. 25 within this year, we launched our newest program at the top of this year. I remember it was like January 1st, we built this new program from the ground up. We weren't sure how it was going to, it was going to go. We immediately got 11 clients, I believe, onto that first program. So this year alone, we've worked with about 26 different clients. And that's just one year out of the eight years we've been a company. It just allows, like I said, it allows us the smaller groups allow us to get them bigger results. And I think that's really cool because we can hyper-focus as, a, as opposed to, and that's why the smaller colleges, when we look at colleges, are better than the huge universities. You get lost in the shuffle when you're going into these giant stadiums of 200 people with a professor talking about biology. You're just like, ah, you're not giving me the attention and the hand-catered education that I want. Same way we're not filling up a Zoom room of a thousand people teaching the same thing. We really need to hand cater things and we found that works the best. So I think the smaller one-on-ones are best for us and we're slowly getting into the small groups. I think they've been going really well as well. I know you're live in yours right now, teaching people how to sell better, which I think is a huge selling point, no pun intended. It's just, you've done it yourself. You were able to generate half a million dollars in revenue from literally one single client. So you're just helping people recreate what you've been able to do so well in your career. And I'm, I'm doing the same thing. So that's really what coaching is about. Absolutely. And what's amazing about our team is I never got to talk about shit I don't want to talk about. I only talk about what lights me on fire. And what lights me on fire is financial independence that turns into creative. And because no matter what, Bob Dylan says it, you're going to have to pay somebody, uh, whether it's the tax man, the policeman, your neighbor, your partner, whatever. There's a cost for everything you do. The simplest way to optimize your path to ultimate creative freedom is to stack your wallet doing what you do best in the creative industry. And I think that's a really interesting pivot for us because we have worked with Fortune 500 companies in the past, but in the same way that we want to work with individuals. Now we're working with a whole new client type and really focusing on those moving forward. And can you walk through how we got to that point? Like why, who are are you looking for right now and who are you wanting to work with and why? Yeah, just springboarding into our new program that we're launching as of last week. We are hyper-focused into two archetypes because when you say artist 
it gets lost in a shuffle. That could mean anybody. I could paint, I could be a singer, I could be a multitude of things. So we found that hyper-focusing on specific archetypes for whatever goal we're trying to accomplish in the program has worked best. So the two archetypes we're looking for right now in our new program called the Music Mogul Mastermind is music coaches. Maybe you teach an instrument. Maybe you're a vocal coach. Maybe you're teaching somebody how to hone their songwriting abilities and get that to the next level or some kind of spiritual business coach. You're a creative coach is what we call it. And the second one is a producer, a music producer who has a talent for creating music, whether that's beat making, whether that's you have an entire studio or you're just making music in your bedroom. It does not matter. If you're in a million dollar studio or in your, you're making beats in your bathroom, we can help you scale. So both of those follow, we found follow a, a pretty much the same trajectory. They have that same infrastructure created because they have an offer. We help them create content. We help them sell their product the best way. And we help them scale with marketing. And it really just comes down to what that product is, what is that offer? That's that step number one. So that's the two types of artists that we're really focused on right now and could change with, with the next program. We're always pivoting and focusing. Oh, cool. Now we're focusing on solo guitarists, like what you are, Vinny. So it's like, we like to, instead of just bulking everybody into, oh, if you like music, we can work with you. It's easier if we can like group people together and take them on a journey with each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one thing I've found with working with music companies is that it seems to be much easier because we're not taking everybody, you yeah. know, and I think we're in a golden age for artists collective and for our teammates as well. You just got back from Egypt. Willie's out in LA. I'm bouncing around Florida all the time. Leonard just moved to Nashville. So everybody's really living their best lives right now. And I think that speaks to the fact that we can say, hey, for the next half a year, I want to work with this type of cat. I want to work with this type of cat. So one of the reasons I'm most excited to work with creative coaches and producers are the fact that the results we've already gotten with our creative coaches and producers have been insane. The people that we've put through, uh, some of them didn't even have a program or a coaching program or really a, a luxury offer or even a packaged offer when they came to us. Other cats, 20, 30 grand in sales a year deep. But either way, we're blasting it out of the water. And I think the new guarantee speaks for itself. Yeah. And I'm going back to the travel and everybody, as you put it, living their best life. Just recently made an ad that's going to go live soon. And I, a part of me hated it because I hate those ads where like a dude's like coming out of a, coming out of a Lamborghini and there's, do you want this Lambo? I can show you how to do it. But at the, I didn't want to do it with material things, but financial freedom and just people having the freedom to be able to travel and make their own schedule has always been something that I've heard from artists. They're just like, I want to get out of my day job and I want to be able to not be tied down to a job and request time off if I want to do something. So I wanted to hit that home while we were in Egypt. So I uh, made a little ad just saying, hey, we're able to travel here. I'm doing my work. I got a team back home and we're moving the needle and we're making more revenue and connecting with more artists than we ever have. 
you can do this too. And I can show you how to do this. And that's what, that's what we all really love to do. All of us on the AC team, we want to travel. We want to make our own schedule and we're doing it. We're doing it full time and we, we love it. So if you're an artist and you have been looking for that, it just might look, the execution of it just might look different. It might be you add on a coaching program to, as you put it, use that commerce to pay for the art. Maybe you create something that you've never really thought that you could do before. Get out of the mindset of being a recording artist. Stop putting pigeonholing yourself in what the Drakes and Beyonce's are doing because they are in a totally different field than you. They are in a totally different area. You can't use them as a model because they're working with tens of millions of dollars. It just isn't going to work the same. So how can you think like an entrepreneur? How can you think like a music industry entrepreneur and build something where you're creating money to go and fund your own stuff, go mm -hmm. fund your project, your release on Spotify. How, what other creative projects can you create revenue from to be your own record label? That's a gist of this new program and our, and our new focus. Be your own record label, essentially. And one of the things that I love seeing is developing that, that revenue stream and maybe in an unexpected way, just watching it skyrocket and then reinvesting that into their original career and the types of ads they put out and the way that they monetize their original music. But a lot of people go wrong thinking that customer journey is going to be here, there, over there, when in reality, you can align everything that you do with your expertise at the forefront to where it's not a resume where your job six years ago has nothing to do with what you're doing now. Because mm -hmm. the fact is that they are the product. You can make a killer offer, but building the equity and the personal equity and the, the personal connections, that all comes from a name, a person to a person. It's not your company. It's not your program. And so that's why I love focusing initially on the individual's brand. So I would love if you could speak to why you start with some branding exploration and maybe even a sneak preview into some of your tricks to unearth an authentic brand. Yeah, especially with artists. So let's compare an artist brand or business to a business that sells sponges, right? Business who sells sponges understands that they need to connect with the customer's needs of using a sponge, for instance. They need to clean their house. They want to get the cleanest bathtub or kitchen. That is what they want to solve. An artist tends to make it about themselves, not the customer's needs. And it's, that's the hardest thing to unlock their mind on. It's like, it's about their music. It's, it's a very ego driven thing. And it's a hard thing to get over. And I totally get it. But the question with an authentic brand, the question you need to ask yourself is how am I enriching my fans life with my music? Am I getting them through a hard time? Am I helping them learn a certain thing? Am I help, you know, helping them through something in their life, et cetera? If you can really hone that, that's what fans are looking for. Fans want to be brought into the story. They don't want just to be pushed, oh, look, another high quality music video that's just showing how dope you are. Like for the most part, they don't want that. So when you think of it uh, as how can you bring your fans or your customers or your clients into the story you're trying to tell, 
That's when that's where the magic happens. So mm -hmm. that all just leads in with an authentic brand. What do you care about? Core values is the first thing that we pretty much work on. What is valuable to you in your life? And a lot of clients of ours are like, I've never been asked this before. So we go through a, a really deep exercise to really unearth what they care about. We specifically work on your top five core values, because guess what? Those top five core values are exactly what you're, how you're going to connect with your client, your clients or your customers or your fans, because they're going to like that too. Cool. Maybe families on there. You're going to connect deeply with people who also value family. How are you going to do that? Let's make a campaign that's showing a family. Let's make a simple ad. It's not rocket science. It's just what are those deep things that you care about? Because they probably care about that too. So it's just, most artists just are blinded by the record labels. And like I said before, the Drake's of the world, because they don't see Drake doing that. Drake doesn't need to do that. So it's just different. It's just a totally different space. You need to think like an entrepreneur and not like a musician, honestly. Yeah. To be honest, I'm our, I'm our music money specialist and I don't pay attention to how the mainstream makes money at all, because I know what sort of loss leaders they're working with. I know what sort of budgets they're working with. I know that labels only really make money off of the top 5% of artists that they have on their label. The whole, it's so monopolized to even compare an independent music career with that of a mainstream million dollar label driven career is just unrealistic. It's not, it's apples to oranges. It's not even the same thing. I would yep. almost say it's more like the sponge company. It's <laughs> being an independent musician, an independent music brand, an independent coach, producer, a studio owner on a boutique level, whatever. It's much more similar to that sort of format. But luckily because the individual at the helm of the company or the, the, the production company, whatever uh, sort of music mogul we're working with, they're the core and getting them to their ultimate dream, which not isn't always initially what they do. Some people want to build the commerce for three years and then go full time with a wallet stacked full of cash that they got a nest egg for. Then tour and feel safe, tour and feels fun. You can spread your tour out further because you don't have to worry about cramming it into your vacation time or pleasing your boss at your part-time job, you know? And uh -huh. that's one thing that I pride our, our, ourselves on focusing on too, is we want to be really upfront about, okay, even if this is just a part-time production job, or you have to supplement your income with DoorDash or, or working at H&M or whatever else, we want to help you get away from those jobs to where every dollar you make is under the umbrella of the music industry so that the types of opportunities that you get just start to snowball. You don't have to put on, there's a world where you don't have to put on two different hats in a day, but you wear the same damn hat all damn day. It says, Leonard said it in our call last night. And it was awesome. He said so many people wear 11, 12 different hats a day, but it's all the same head. Yeah. They forget that it's all on the same head. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. stop worrying about the hats. Just figure out a way to be able to be your most authentic self all day, every day. And not only will the stresses of normal life and normalcy start to fall off, but the dollar signs will be, will legitimize your career in a way that what's time well spent. I know EMS workers that are making 18 bucks an hour. And I said to him the other day, how uh, do you ever take an hour or two to just ask people to sign up for your newsletter? He said, no. I said, 
you understand that a double opt-in on a newsletter for an independent music artist is estimated to be worth about seven to seventeen dollars per signup. I said, so if you sat down and you got ten signups today on your newsletter and you had an intuitive monetization system going uh, with that you would be making more money than you're going at, and cleaning up poop at work. You're cleaning up poop at work when you could be sitting at home, <laughs> making music, talking to your friends and having people sign up for newsletters. And, and it's a noble job. Somebody's got to do it, but it's, I'd rather him be making music. I'd rather make music than clean up poop at work, but that's yeah. true. Or um, teach other people my expertise. It doesn't have to just be creating music. The music industry is so diversified. And even Chris Stapleton wrote a hundred songs, a hundred published songs before he ever released his own. That he, He's the one I stole commerce pays for the art from. He yeah. literally quoted that on Joe Rogan. He's like, I just wanted to pay my dues and stack that money until it was my turn. And I kept a couple good songs for me. And I'm like, <laughs> damn, man, that's patience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And back to the the part-time full-time job. I just want to, I just want to reiterate, there's no shame in working that job while you get your bread up. There's no reason that you can't, don't jump straight into quitting the job thinking that you're going to go full-time in. But here's what I say. If you're working a part-time full-time job, identify how it's going to help your other side, your main thing. Think of that as the side hustle and your music as the main hustle. That simple switch will help you and also just be like, cool, I'm going in to work at McDonald's. How is this going to help me? Can I connect with people there that could be my fans? Of course, the money and the connections, but like, what else are you going to learn? Maybe you can learn some corporate insider stuff of McDonald's. They're a giant company. Maybe you can learn some things to help you build your other side. That's what I did for years. And once you, when you look at it like that, it's not just like I'm going into work, like you, you can make something of it. So if you come at it with that like mindset, it'll help you build your, your, just you as a person and just you as an entrepreneur as well. Absolutely. Especially because there are sometimes intangible, how do I put this? A lot of people don't know how to connect the seemingly disconnected parts of those hats that they wear. But I can use a, a perfect example. Janelle Iacchino, our apothecarian, spooky flutist and taxidermist. She wears so many different hats. And so one of the things that her day job is that she works for a bug company that gets a lot of press. And she's always on TV. So we're going, how do we optimize this TV opportunity? You being the, the bug lady on TV and talking about your, so she got the opportunity. She's I'm going to talk about the taxidermy. I'm going to talk about the apothecary. I might even develop an organic product for my apothecary. That's like a bug spray, an organic bug spray. And I'm going to be, I'm going to just embody as much of being the Chicago Italian as I can. And she's like the unofficial Chicago Italian girl now. She's having people send her free food, call her up, endorse her website. And luckily, we had just set up the front-facing infrastructure of her LinkedIn, her professional services, her apothecary website, updated pricing. So though that seemed unrelated and it was her day job, we managed to soak up so much equity from those opportunities to jumpstart her journey into full-time over in her passions and where she wanted her full-time job to be. And a lot of people would say that those are wildly disconnected, 
but it's working and she's got more clients on every end because it's all connected. Yeah. Just to sum that up and, and our program as well, we just meet so many talented artists that, and talented, I'm going to just call them musicpreneurs, but they just don't have a plan. What our program and what we're really good at is helping them just take a step back. And sometimes what is the saying? You're like, sometimes you're too close to the glass that you can't see through. We help people step back and really look at a big picture and give them an actionable plan. And the, the best analogy I have that I always go to is like, we're your personal trainers for your music business. When you want to grow muscle or slim down and you don't know how you hire a personal trainer to hold you accountable and give you a plan on your diet and your routine. We do the same thing with your music business, whatever that music business is. You're trying to sell more beats. Cool. How can we get a plan to get you more? How can we raise your price? Stop selling your beats at $20. That's garbage. Know your worth too. So I think we do a good job at giving people a plan and really hold them accountable and also help guide them to what they're really worth because artists you guys are undervaluing yourselves mm-hmm. 100%. significantly you i know you did it too way back in the day i'm talking 10 mm-hmm. years ago you used to play for literally hey, i'll play some music oh all, all you can do is put out a bucket for tips you're like oh okay sure mm-hmm. now you're just like 500 dollars. i'm not even talking to you right. <laughs> you know the deposit send the yeah. deposit then we can chat no it ain't that exactly. bad so it's just know your worth get a plan and get shit done. Let's go. And the beauty of it is that uh, I'm going to correct one aspect of that because this isn't just for people that don't know what, where, what to do, because I don't know a single personal trainer that doesn't have a personal trainer. There's never, whenever you are in a competitive realm, you're never done maintaining, you're never done building, and you're never done adjusting your technique because you will plateau in some way, shape, or form. You'll gain some sort of neglectfulness somewhere in your business that having an unbiased professional eye can tighten up your technique, can make sure that you correct those bad habits and Make sure that you get your ass to the gym. Like in so many situations, I find myself being the, I want to say pit boss, but that sounds wrong. Like a drill sergeant of the bunch. Because I just, at the end of the day, I believe that dollar signs are one of the most profound ways that you can measure the progress of your music career. And I'm always pushing to sell, but also leaning into something you said, people do wildly undervalue themselves. Like people would never go flip fries for the same price that they'll go and sing for, or that they'll make album art for, or that they'll sell a beat for. People spend more on their birthday dinner than they make on a beat that took them 10 hours. Are you kidding me? Getting people over these milestones of legitimizing themselves is not just a dollar signs game, but it's a mindset game. And so much in the music industry, you're going to deal with people that just don't give a shit. And we actually care. And that's why we keep people accountable, but on a personal level. If you need a week off, we're, we're flexible. Death in the family. All right, let's keep, let's adjust. I'm going to send you some quotes from my favorite meditation expert. And I'm going to recommend a Wim Hof method to you. We don't stop caring just because the Zoom call is done. But um, yeah, I'm, go- I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but I really am so passionate about our clients. And I know you are too. Yeah. And just briefly on the undervaluing, it's really just a self-worth thing. It's a, 
you're people are seeing we're living in this world of social media where you're seeing people with more followers and better beats and more money coming in and you just feel like your stuff isn't worth that and we help instill confidence in people and say hey the experts of the world are just a chapter ahead of other people so you don't have to be the best beat maker to increase your price you don't have to be the best coach to ever exist to demand a specific amount of money for your program. So we just help instill that confidence and it's been working. Our coaches, like in the first couple months, coaches have been making $4,000 on their programs, $6,000 on a program that didn't exist a month before we were working with them. And they were like, wow, I didn't even think I could do this. I was over here charging vocal lessons for $20 an hour. And now I'm selling programs at 2K. This is crazy. So it's just mm -hmm. a little bit of push. Just your physical trainer saying, oh, I can't bench press this. He's screaming in your ear saying, yeah, you can do it. And then you do it. And you're like, holy shit, I did it. So we just help instill that confidence and really try to, like what you said, personal touch on uh, doing that. Last shout out, if you are a producer, you make beats, you have a studio, you want more clients, you want to scale, or you're a music coach, vocal, songwriting, any kind of creative coach, and you also want to scale, hit us up. We are looking for a specific number, about 10 total of those archetypes to join our new program. Let's get you more money. Let's get you more clients. You can take all that revenue and you can go release your music the way that you want to. You can stop waiting on an investor to come and you know make it rain on you. Stop waiting for that. Stop waiting for a record label. Make, build your own record label. So hit us up. We'll probably have a link after this. It's in my bio on Instagram, but check that out. Looking forward to chatting with you guys. 100%. And that is called the Music Mogul Mastermind, everybody. And if you're listening to this and you haven't joined the Music Industry Entrepreneurs Facebook group, it's invite only, but you can hit up Evan or uh, myself on Instagram or uh, through our website, artistcollect.com. But definitely join that. I think it's about a thousand people deep. And Music Industry Entrepreneurs is the name on Facebook. And it really is a group of people eager to take a hustle mentality to power their creative dreams and endeavors. And we there are some brilliant minds in there, not only on the AC team, but a lot of camaraderie and community of people brainstorming ideas, sharing wins. And that's definitely super valuable for you guys to be in and be uh, checking regularly. Yeah. I want to get into Egypt. All right. Let's you, go. And I, you've, you and I have talked about Egypt quite a bit just over the years. We've both been enamored with the pyramids and uh, all the folklore around it and all that action. So walk me through, if you were to give me a quick summary and I'm going to quote one of your summaries from back in the day. I think I said, hey, Evan, what do you think about New Orleans? And you said, it's, it's pretty soggy. <laughs> I said, perfect summary. Do you have a one or two liner summary for what, what you felt about Egypt? It's intense. And we went all around Egypt. And so we spent about three weeks, myself and our marketing lead, Mr. Willie Chill himself, and we popped around everywhere. We took a total of nine flights while we were there. We stayed about six, it was about 16 days or so. And we stayed in a new hotel, Airbnb or hostel every single night. So we never stayed in one place twice. And that's unlike something that I do. I'm very, I like structure. I like comfort. I like convenience. So I just go a couple of times. I was like, man, I just want to unpack my damn suitcase and chill. And we we're like the name of the game. The motto of the trip was 
let's keep it moving. We wanted to experience as many things as possible. And we definitely did that. But as would you say, a, a summary is very intense. Cairo is one of the craziest cities I have ever been to. There's about 20 million people there. Whoa. It was wild, man. Our original plan was we were going to rent motorbikes and drive around ourselves. Willie did that in Indonesia. And he was like, that was the highlight of the trip. We asked everywhere. Nobody would rent us that. They literally every time laughed at us and said, no, you'll die. (laughs) Because the driving dude is so crazy. There's no lines on the road. There's no stoplights. There's no stop signs. There's barely any directions. And people are just literally getting really close to each other, swerving. They have some kind of system with their horns, like a couple honks mean something else. And one honk means something. We're just like, dude, what the fuck is going on? So we are, I'm at least glad. I don't know about Willie. I'm glad that it fell off because we definitely would have died. There were people like there was whole family, a family of six, like stacked on top of each other on a motorcycle i was like is this a dr seuss book what's going on people on the back of trucks just like tons of people on you know in in the beds of trucks just chilling going 80 miles on on the highway but it was just madness but overall man everybody is so friendly in egypt so friendly we're walking down the street clearly they can probably tell that we're american or something there's hello where are you from welcome to egypt that was like the thing everybody said welcome to egypt or some people, which I don't know if this was a thing, but people would say, they would say, welcome to Alaska. I was just like, I assume you're being sarcastic because it's the opposite of Alaska. But that was like a thing that they said. Yeah, it's like a couple, a dozen of them said that. I was just like, did you guys like, is this a memo or something? But in Cairo in particular, it was crazy. We of course saw the pyramids, rode the camels, experienced the, the markets. Khan El-Khalili is like the, the most famous market there. We were walking down and people are like hassling you. And they're like, hey, come into my shop. Oh, come in. oh, you like that? Cool, cool. 15 Egyptian pounds. And you're like, no, two. And they're like, okay, seven. And you're like, okay, three. And you do that. So we wanted to experience. We were able to connect with a local there that became one of our friends. So she took us around and showed us all of like the underground spots. And that's what mm. we wanted. I didn't want right. to just go to tourist garbage. I wanted to experience where Egyptians go. So she took us to a couple really famous restaurants. And the cool thing about the restaurants is you never really, the buildings are unlike Chicago or any other city in the U.S. where it's like you walk down and there's a lot of branding. You see the lights, you see the sign. You're like, oh, cool. That's a clothing store. I'm going to go in there. These are just, these are just brick buildings. You're just like, I don't know what this is. So we're like walking into this building. I'm like, what is this abandoned? And then you go deep inside (laughs) and it's like a full out restaurant. You're like, how would anybody find this? I don't understand. We're really blessed to have somebody there who spoke the language. I can't say anything other than thank you and you're welcome in, in Arabic, very hard language. But she showed us around, but we just, we did a lot of stuff, man. Cairo was cool. The pyramids were amazing. Definitely not at the top of the list though. Because we wanted to slow down once we went into the southernmost areas like Luxor, which is the old capital. And that's where it started to really chill out for us. And we were like, okay, cool. This is not as city vibes. It's more of where we stayed in an Airbnb and a Nubian. We had to take a boat across the Nile to get there every time. And it was just this, 
I call him a Bob Marley type because he was always playing Bob Marley. He loved Bob Marley, mm-hmm. but he was just really just had those, that, those Rasta vibes, just, yeah, let's sit in a circle and play drums and play the guitar and listen to music. We were like, okay, these are our people, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he like took us around the village. It's a small village. Everybody knew each other. And he was just showing us their garden that they had for the whole village. They sh- he showed us this homemade irrigation system that they made with scraps and and they hooked cows to and they went around in a circle and it brought the Nile uh, water up to to irrigate the land it was wild so just very self-sufficient and I just like to see it because disconnected from the world and that's kind of what I wanted for sure so these people have like flip phones if they even had phones Mm -hmm. and they're they're in their their full-on galabeas just like walking around in sandals, just very friendly waving. Some people were literally just sitting on the street doing nothing, just like existing. And I was just like, this is a vibe. Like, this is such a vibe. So it's just like, they, they weren't worried about just the hustle and bustle that we're always worried about over here in the US. We just, we have money. They're just like, we're, we're chilling. We're, in, we're enjoying the world. Surprisingly, not surprisingly, they, I asked, we asked them because we, I, we asked a bunch of questions. Who's, how are you making money here? Are you paying rent? Things like that. I had to ask the COVID situation. That was like the, the big question. Nobody was wearing masks, especially in this village. And we were like, so what's COVID like over here? And he just chuckles and he's not really too concerned. We were like, oh, really? They're like, yeah. And he's, I'm going to be honest. Nobody's vaccinated. Nobody wears masks and he's, we've only had a couple deaths or any, yeah, a couple deaths and they've all been like elderly people. We had a a big celebration for their life when they passed away, but it's like, I don't know if it's just the heat. I don't know if it's just because they're really active or they eat really well, but they were not concerned with it at all. And it's just like very different here in Chicago. Everybody's freaking out can't walk into a store without a face diaper on. So it was kind of interesting to see. I just really enjoyed experiencing a new culture and like just talking with them and seeing what their lives are like and how how it's different, how it's the same. It was just interesting. Uh, It was my first international travel as like a full-grown adult. Went to Italy when I was right out of high school. I didn't appreciate it then. So this was really cool to just experience something new and of course see see this see the pyramids had to see them had to see them and i know you got a question about the pyramids about who built them yeah did let's categorically did anything in your mind change about the i don't know the supernatural or mysterious historical aspects of egypt did you feel like uh, you were in a magical place or that there were there were fingerprints of a higher civilization on anything what it, what it being around the pyramids and we went inside the great pyramid which was pretty eerie not no kind of like out of body experience or any kind of tingling of extraterrestrial life or anything like that they were pretty magical for sure but it wasn't until we went to Aswan that I really saw the depth of it Aswan is where that's it's where the quarry exists where all the stone and the rock they chipped it out and put it on the Nile River and sent it up to Cairo and Luxor to build the pyramids and the Sphinx. So that's where they gathered all of the stone for it. And there is an unfinished obelisk. You know what an obelisk is? In the stone, they were chipping it away and took years to do. And it cracked like a huge crack down the middle. And they were just like, fuck this. And they just left it. So it's like half finished. 
So it really showed the magnitude of it. I had never really put it in my mind. It was hard to like imagine it, but it showed it. And it was just so, it was so precise that we're talking to this guide who didn't speak great English, talking to this guide, like, how did they get this? He's like, oh yeah, you know, they, you know, he's making emotions. Oh, they chipped away. I'm like, you're telling me that they got this precise obelisk from a hammer and, and a nail, just like chipping it away. And it was like, dude, it looked like somebody took a laser. That's what yeah. it looked like. And there's another one where it went straight down. So the one I was talking about before was very, was like, hor- like parallel or perpendicular to, to the earth. This one went straight down into, it was like the same length, maybe 50 feet all the way down. And I'm like, okay, hear me out. How did they get down there? The, the stone is there. They're, they're, there's not enough room for human beings to get down there. Dude was like, oh yeah, they just like shimmy down there. And they had extenders on their nails. I'm like, no, there's no way. So that's when I was really like questioning it. I definitely don't think aliens made it, but I'm definitely questionable on if they had some kind of technology to do it. They had some laser guns, like what's going on here? It just seemed wild to me. And like the pyramids themselves took 10 years to make. That's Mm. a short amount of time for the tools that they had. Yeah. So I don't know. It was cool. It's all speculatory. So who knows? What do you think? Just not seeing them. What is your just idea of what happened? I think at at the absolute bare minimum, forgotten technology. Mm -hmm. And I think that it had something to do with knowing how to manipulate sound in a profound way. But there's a lot of frequency science that's really interesting, both in the woo-woo world and some up-and-coming psychics or physics, law of physics and stuff like that being redefined. I think that when I've not been there, obviously, but when I look at the pyramids, I think when humans are tasked with hyper-focusing on one objective, they can accomplish near perfection. 